We're launching a new series today, and I, I want to jump right into a passage of Scripture that will set the tone not only for today, but for the, the remainder of the series, and then we'll work back through it as we often do. The passage of Scripture is Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. If you have one of our pew Bibles, uh, you can grab one of those from the seat in front of you and go to page 1694. You'll find it uh, there in the same translation that I'm reading from. You're always welcome to bring your own Bible. I encourage you to do that. Read this in your own translation. Um, but here is what... Uh, Here's where we're going to start today. And just to give you a little bit of context, if, uh, if you're familiar with the story of Acts, you know that in Acts chapter 1, Jesus comes and appears to the disciples again, and he says to them, I am going away. But that's okay, because you're going to receive power, right? You're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and Judea, in Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. And then he goes away, just like he said he would. And right there in Acts chapter 2, they receive the power. It's the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them as they're gathering in Jesus' name. And there's tongues of fire on their head, and they start speaking in foreign languages. And people from faraway places are hearing these unschooled Galileans speaking in their own language. And it's this powerful experience that gets everybody's attention. And in that moment, Peter stands up, and he preaches a sermon. He stands up and he preaches a sermon, and we're catching up on the tail end of that sermon. Just to give you the Cliff's Notes version of that sermon that he preaches, he basically said, Jesus was God's son. You killed him. God raised him. Say you're sorry. That's basically the sermon that, G- that Peter preached there in Acts chapter 2, and we pick up on the very tail end of that in verse 36. Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, don't forget, both Lord and and Christ, Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So, the Jerusalem church was a megachurch overnight. And this is what they did. The next few verses tell us what these earliest believers did what practices they did, what things they did. And and we read about this as the model for our churches today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we're doing a series titled Devoted, and it's based on Acts 2, verse 42. Maybe you picked up on that. 
Acts 2.42, where it tells us that they, these early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so in this series, we're going to focus on each of those four areas, and we'll look at one each week. And we'll study these earliest believers and the things that they were devoted to and the ways that they lived that devotion out. But before we do that, I want you to imagine for a moment. Imagine for a moment you've never been in a church. Imagine you've never really heard about Jesus. You've never really rubbed shoulders with any Christians. And you stumble across a New Testament. And you read through it. And you read about this guy named Jesus. And you start to believe, yeah, he really was God's son. And you get to the book of Acts, and you can't quite figure out why he's had to be born and die three, four times in a row, but you start to figure out maybe these are four different guys telling the same story four times, right? And you get to the book of Acts, and you start to read about these gatherings, and you start to read about a new way of interacting with God. Now tell me, how closely would what you read about in the first few chapters of Acts resemble what we practice as the church in America today? How similar would it be? Sure, there are similarities, but if we think for a minute, we can come up with quite a few differences, can't we? Between the way that we do church in America and the way that the earliest believers did. Why do you think that is? Maybe a better question is, does it bother you? There's so many differences. Do you think it bothers God? I don't know, I've been, I've been reading some things and some books recently that have challenged some of my thinking as a pastor, as a church leader, and as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the way that we interact with him as Christianity today in America. And along the same time that I'm reading these things and, and these books, I'm, I'm teaching membership classes in the Wesleyan Church, something I never did before. I came from a denomination where we didn't do membership, so didn't have to do that. Um, and I'm learning about the Wesleyans, and I'm learning about the way that they have changed recently. In the last 10 years, they've changed their membership process intentionally to more closely resemble what we read about in the book of Acts, in the first believers, and how it was a process, a discipleship pathway that belonging to a church and to a fellowship was part of the discipleship pathway for a new believer, and that you believe and then you belong to that body as you become, instead of the way they used to do it, where you believe and then you spend a period of time becoming, and once enough people agree that you've become enough like the people that are already there, then you can belong. You see the difference? And yet what we read about over and over in Acts is that the gospel is preached, people respond in faith to it, they believe, they're baptized, and there's a fellowship right there, and they belong to that fellowship, and they belong to the way, as it's called, over and over in the first chapters of Acts. So I'm not coming at this from a, from a critical nature or a negative viewpoint. I simply want to be faithful, and I want to challenge each of us to be faithful, and to grow together in our devotion to Jesus and to his bride, which we call the church today. The verse after the verse we're studying, verse 43, I love this verse. It says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. You might say, why, why isn't that the case today? Why, why aren't 
Why isn't everyone filled with awe? And why aren't miraculous signs and wonders being done today? And one quote that I came across that's been ringing in my ears since I first read it says, In our impatient culture, we want to experience biblical awe without biblical devotion. We want to experience biblical awe without biblical devotion. Basically, we want signs and wonders without fasting and prayer. We want to experience the fullness without giving ourselves fully to the cause. So I don't want to put clubs in your hands to go around and bonk other Christians on the the head or bonk other churches on the head and say, see, we got it right over at Linwood. Pastor Mark's preaching the devoted series. I just want you to spend some time looking into your own heart and maybe talking about this in your own family. And we're going to be talking about this in our family of families. Because the earliest believers were devoted to four things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which we just did today, and to prayer. Those four things. And as we look at that list, I think it's important to, to observe what's on the list, but also what's not on the list. We should pay as much attention to what's not on the list as we do to what's on the list. And we'll do that as we go forward here. And we'll talk each week about, about how this might be different from where these people grew up and the religious experience that they had growing up, these early believers. But you notice that nowhere on this list is hymns versus choruses. That, that just didn't make the list. It wasn't an issue for the earliest believers. Which translation of the Bible? Of course, the Bible hadn't been codified and translated, but that, you, know, you get the point that I'm making here. Pews versus chairs. Like, what are, they, what are we going to sit on when we get together? Wasn't an issue. Wasn't an issue. And neither was the color of the carpet. I'll just throw that out there. See, the gatherings as a whole and the individual believers in them were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so as we begin this series, we're going to start with the first of those, with being devoted to the apostles' teaching. You might think, well, that's a no-brainer, Pastor Mark. Of course they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. But you know what this probably what was expected from the earliest believers, what they would be devoted to. It wasn't the apostles' teaching. Any guess? An early believer might have expected to see the law and the prophets here, that they would be devoted to the law and the prophets. After all, the earliest believers grew up in synagogue, and in synagogue, what did they do? They read from the law, and they read from the prophets, and a rabbi taught on it every single day. So if you're going to gather together, and you're going to be devoted to something that's been written down or something that's been proclaimed, wouldn't it make sense that it would be the law and the prophets? And yet, that's not what's said here. It's the apostles' teaching. It's the apostles' teaching. Now, this resonates with Linwood very strongly. I've been in a number of different churches. I've attended a number of different churches. I've served in a number of different churches. And Linwood is uniquely passionate about the centrality of God's word to everything that we do here. And I say amen to that. I think that this is a great place for us to start because this is one area where Linwood as a collective whole is passionate about God's word. It's passionate about the apostles' teaching. 
In fact, as our, as our local board of administration met and we went through and we were looking for what are the core values of this church, not aspirational values that we hope would be central to what happens at Linwood, but what is already central here at Linwood. And we agreed unanimously that centering our lives on God's word was central to what happens at Linwood. And we define that by consistently preaching, teaching, and applying the word of God to every aspect of our lives, both individually and Corporately, that's one of our three core values. In fact, we also would see that represented or this idea of being devoted to the apostles' teaching in our mission statement. Our mission statement is to reach people for Christ, give them a place to belong, and help them grow in their faith. That last phrase, helping them grow in their faith, there is nothing that can take the place of Scripture in growing in your faith. You cannot substitute something in there and say, oh, I don't really need Scripture because I have this. It doesn't happen. We need God's word to transform our hearts, and that represents the apostles' teaching to us today. So I want to look at a passage of Scripture that you might be familiar with. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it speaks about the importance of God's word in a very, very powerful way. Now, if you're not familiar with Timothy, Timothy, the two letters to Timothy are a little different than a lot of the other books of the Bible, which are really letters that were written by the Apostle Paul to different churches. Timothy and Titus are unique because Timothy and Titus were individuals that Paul wrote a letter to. The Apostle Paul writing to young pastors that had come into the ministry through Paul's ministry. So Timothy is an understudy of Paul's, so to speak, and Paul writes him two letters to help him pastor the church at Ephesus. And right in the middle of the second letter is where we're going to look at this passage. And he's giving a charge to Timothy, sort of charging him to do this. Or, or you're, you're obligated to do these things, Timothy, if you take on the sacred mantle of being a pastor and being a teacher. And here's what he says in verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of the, his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So I would summarize this as being devoted to the apostles' teaching means building our lives on the word of God, which is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that... Never miss the so that's and the therefores in Scripture. They're critical. They tell you, they make the application for you so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to have a strong desire to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that you were created as a masterpiece of God's in order to do good works, which he scheduled for you to do in advance. We ought to want and eagerly desire to be thoroughly equipped to do all the good works that God set aside for us to do. And we're told that it will come through Scripture, that, that Scripture will teach us and will correct us and will rebuke us and will train us in righteousness to do that. So that we don't turn away, that we don't turn aside 
to people who mix a little error in with the truth or make it a little more palatable or dumb it down or make it weaker. Because that's not going to thoroughly equip us for every good work, is it? Now, if we're going to talk about being devoted to the apostles' teaching, we better understand what an apostle is, and we better understand what kind of teaching we're talking about. So, the apostles, originally, were those who had been with Jesus, who had, had followed him, who had been commissioned by him to go into the world and to make disciples. Those were the original 12 apostles. One of them betrayed Jesus. He was replaced. And then there was a 13th apostle that was brought into and was personally commissioned into Christian service, and that's the Apostle Paul, who happens to be writing this passage. So when we talk about an apostle, that word literally means a messenger, a delegate, or one sent with a mission. So those who were sent with a mission to be Christ's ambassadors, to be Christ's delegates, were the original apostles. And when we talk about teaching, that word that we translate as teaching has to do with doctrine or instruction, especially that which has been established. And so the unity that we find in the apostles' teaching is what they were devoted to, the things that they knew, the things that the apostles knew because they had been with Jesus, because they had been commissioned by Jesus, because they had heard him speak and teach and and proclaim the kingdom of God. Those are the teachings that were critical to the new church that the new church was devoted to. The apostles' teachings are the teachings of the original apostles. And we find those in speeches and sermons that are recorded in the book of Acts, like the one we just saw the tail end from. That would be the apostle Peter teaching the people on the day of Pentecost. That's one of the apostles' teachings. And there are other teachings that are recorded in Acts. And when you get out of Acts, then you start to run into these letters, letters by Paul, who was an apostle, James, who was an apostle, John, who was an apostle, Peter, who was an apostle. And these make up the New Testament. These were the apostles' teachings. And the early church, the early gatherings in Christ's name were absolutely devoted to them. But Verse 2 of chapter 4 is an interesting, interesting expansion of that. And if you've ever been to an ordination service, I've been to several, only one where I was being ordained, but several where somebody else was being ordained, you often find this passage preached on at the ordination service. First, or 2 Timothy chapter 4 is this charge. But notice what happens in verse 2. Paul, an apostle, speaks to Timothy a disciple of Paul, a disciple of Jesus, and he gives him a charge, and he says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So Paul commissions Timothy, and when he commissions Timothy, he commissions him to preach the word, to preach, to to declare, to proclaim the apostles' teachings to the people in his church. So by extension, today's apostles, today's sent ones, today's ordained or commissioned ones, and their teachings about the original apostles' teachings are what we today are devoted to. We're devoted to the Word of God. We're devoted to it as it is taught to the body, to the believers, to the gatherings. And if you haven't already noticed I preach much more from the New Testament than I do from the Old Testament, even though it's thicker. Even though the Old Testament's thicker, I, I preach more from the New Testament than the Old Testament, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. It's not exclusively from the New Testament, because there is a wealth of good stuff in the Old Testament. However, 
The Old Testament deals primarily with the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the covenant between God and the nation of Israel, the covenant that Jesus came to complete, to fulfill, and inaugurated a new covenant, a new covenant. And that's why this was so important then, and it's why it's so important now. You might be asking, why is this such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because Christianity... The way of Jesus Christ was not Judaism 2.0. You ever seen a a software release come out? There's the original one, and then there's 2.0, and then they fix the bugs in 2.0, and there's 2.1, and 2.3, and 2.3.1, and then they re-overhaul the whole thing, and now there's 3.0, 3.1. You follow? Christianity was not Judaism 2.0. It was not a correction or an update or an expansion or an improvement upon the old covenant. Jesus, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, they all refer to a new covenant, something that was brand new. It did away with the old. It didn't abolish it. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Kind of like when you have homework to do and you do your homework You didn't abolish your homework. You completed your homework. Jesus didn't abolish it. He completed it. He fulfilled it. And he inaugurated something brand new. And so it was important that they not gather together as this new sect called the way and study the law and the prophets. They studied the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the teachings of those who had been with Jesus. In fact, Jeremiah spoke about this. You want to go back into the Law and the Prophets, Jeremiah 31. He speaks about a new covenant. A time is coming when I will begin a new covenant with the people. And it will be for all the people, not just the nation of Israel, but for everyone. That's really good news if you live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, 2,000 years later. Because the old covenant was for the people of Israel 2,000 years ago, the new covenant that Jesus came, that we just celebrated with communion, was about you and about me and about all of us for all time. That's really, really good news. And because the first believers were culturally and religiously Jewish, they had grown up Jewish, they had to be devoted to the teachings of those who had been with Jesus. They had to be devoted to the teachings like the Sermon on the Mount, which it shows up once in your Bible in the New Testament from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. But scholars are pretty well agreed that this was Jesus' quintessential teaching, that he gave the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again. And if you were one of the first disciples and you followed this guy around for three years, you probably heard the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over. Get out your book of James. And open up to James chapter 1 and open up to the Sermon on the Mount. Read through the Sermon on the Mount and then read through the book of James and you will see so many similarities, it'll just be spooky to you. How is that? Well, James grew up following Jesus around, listening to the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over. And then he chose with his letter to the church to challenge them to actually live this stuff out. They had to be devoted to the teachings of those who had heard the parables, who had heard the teachings in the kingdom that Jesus had shared. to those who are teaching the way of Jesus now. And that is what we must be devoted to as well. Interestingly enough, the persecution that they faced came first from the Jewish people, right? In fact, Jesus was crucified by the Jewish people. Why? Because he was bringing something new. 
He says, I'm going to tear down the temple. Well, the temple was the center of their religious experience. How are you going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days? What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, time's coming when you're not even going to worry about worshiping here or there. The believers in God are going to worship by spirit and truth, right? All these things that Jesus said were pointing to something new, and it was critical that the earliest believers were focused on the the teaching of the apostles, not the law and the prophets. And so why does this matter to us today? Why are we spending a whole sermon talking about this at the beginning of a whole series talking about this devotion? Well, the reason that this matters so much is that the person in your seat is called to be a new creation, not you 2.0. And if we're not careful, we say, well, yeah, um, yeah, my list a little messed up when I came to Jesus. I'll just add Jesus and he'll fill in all the cracks and then I'll be good to go. And that is not what Scripture talks about. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, If anyone is in Christ, behold, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. New life in Christ is the model, is the goal. Not fixing your old life. Not enhancing your old life. And most people kind of latch on to that. Until they realize what that really means. Right? Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, new things don't generally bother us until we realize it means letting go of old, comfortable things. That's why you moved your old couch down to your basement when you got a new couch. Because I don't want to get rid of that old one. It's pretty nice. Right? We have a hard time letting go of the old, especially when it's ourselves. I kind of like that guy. Spent a lot of time with him. What do you mean he's got to die? What are you talking about, Pastor Mark? Well, Galatians 2.20, Paul writes these words. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The biggest enemy to you and the new creation that Christ has called you to be is you and the old creation that you were. That's the biggest enemy. That's the one that trips me up all the time. I got to crucify that daily. I got to wake up, take up my cross daily. That's what Jesus said. If anyone will come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Right? Take up the cross. Crucify the old self. Live by faith in Christ, the new life. Got to reset the defaults. We got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You might recognize that phrase. It's from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where Paul says, Therefore, therefore, in light of everything that I've just said, therefore, what did he just say? Well, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are an address. Paul takes a break in the middle of Romans. The first eight chapters are to Christians. 9, 10, and 11, he's writing to his brethren, to the Jewish people. In 9, 10, and 11, he makes a really, really solid case for why they should at least consider that Jesus is who he said he was, did what he said he would do, and raised from the grave. That's when the therefore comes in, in Romans 12, 1. He's just been speaking to Old Covenant people, saying, the Old Covenant's over. The the protections of the Old Covenant are over. The promises of the Old Covenant have been replaced and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, fellow Jews, in in view of God's mercy through Jesus Christ, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing. Our minds need to be made new, not just add a little bit of knowledge about Jesus and you'll be okay, but be renewed in the mind so that you may test and approve the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We've got to be made new. Bottom line today is the apostles' teaching. And the reason they were devoted to it in the early church, the apostles' teaching is about embracing the new that Jesus brought to the whole world. It was critical to the first believers. It's critical to us today. Christianity is not a religion of therapeutic, moralistic deism where we set our eyes on a deist, on a deity, God, and we go through a religious process of some behavior modification and now we're good to go. It's about being transformed and made new into the reflection of Jesus Christ as he wants to be reflected in your life, in the places you go, in the things that you do, in the people that you interact with. That's Christianity. It's critical that we are devoted to the teachings of the apostles. It's critical that we're devoted to God's word. It's critical that you're spending time every day in God's word, especially the New Testament. I read the Old Testament every day too. I just can't shake the habit. I don't really want to. But if you're looking for a place to start, start in the New Testament. Start with one of the Gospels. Get to know this Jesus guy. Get to know him. It's February 3rd. You could read a chapter of the Gospel of Luke every day in the month of February, and you'd finish. You'd even get one, ex- one free day, one day off. One day when you sleep in, you don't, you don't make it to the chair in time. One day where you're really tired at the end. Or if you need more than one day, go with Mark. It's only 16 chapters. But read the Bible every day. Read the New Testament every day. Start reading the book of Acts As we go through this series and learn and you'll see connections between what they were doing and what we ought to be doing and what the disciples were teaching and the apostles were teaching. Spend time in God's word every single day. It's critical that we build our lives upon the apostles' teaching, upon the word of God. Now, as always, you're invited to respond. You're invited to respond right where you're seated and make an altar of prayer there and do some business with God right where you are. You're invited to come to an altar. You can come to these center two altars and you can pray by yourself. You can go to one of the corner altars and that will be an indication that you'd like somebody to come and pray with you. Put a hand on your shoulder and and just speak a prayer over you or maybe you want to speak with them and have them pray specifically for a need. You can go to the outside altars and do that. You can go to this far corner here. We have this cross and you can write out a prayer request and you can roll it up and you can stick it on that cross and you can know every time you come in here that, that your prayer matters to God and that people are coming by throughout the week and they're praying over those prayer requests. They're not taking them off and unrolling them and reading them, but they're praying over them. However you choose to respond. My prayer is you respond in faith. And if God has challenged you in some way, that you respond in faith to that today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that it is literally God-breathed. And that you've given it to us as a gift so that we may be equipped to do the good works that you've called us to do. We pray, Lord, 
that you will deepen and broaden our devotion to your word. And that it will bear much fruit through our lives and accomplish your purposes in us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.